0: Hello, and welcome to the Beef Cattle Health and Nutrition Podcast, Episode 20. I'm your host, Dr. John Campbell. This week, I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Chris Clark to the podcast. Chris is a faculty member in the Department of Large Animal Clinical Sciences at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine here at the University of Saskatchewan. Chris has a special interest in bovine lameness, and as a large animal clinician, he has a lot of experience in working on lame cows. This week, we're going to have a chat about two common causes of lameness, foot rot and soul abscesses. Let's get started. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here.
1: I'm really glad to be here, John.
0: Uh, Before we start our topic for today, maybe I'll ask you to just introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us a little bit about your background and, and maybe a little bit about what you do at WCVM.
1: Sure. So um, I'm a clinician here at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine. I work in the large animal medicine section. Um, I always find that whenever I start speaking, everybody's trying to work out whether I'm from Australia or New Zealand. And I should point out I'm actually from England. I don't know what the hell happened to my accent, but it confuses people. Um, but, yeah, so I, I work in the clinic here. Um, and over the years, I spent a lot of my time dealing with calves and lame cattle. Um, and for the last seven years, um, I've also been the associate dean at WCVM, which means I'm responsible for a large chunk of the undergraduate training
0: program. Right. And and uh, you've just taken a little leave from that job, but I've uh, been working really hard at, at uh, running that program and helping us with our teaching program. You also spent some time in practice. Tell us a little bit about that, where you practiced.
1: Yeah, so I worked um, uh, right up in the northwest corner of England, right on the border with Scotland, um, in an area known as Cumbria. And I mean, people always try to put it into some context. I always say I was approximately about 100 miles from where James Herriot used to practice. So if anybody's ever watched the TV shows or read the books or whatever else, it may have been 60 years apart, but time moves slowly in that area.
0: Yes. And we could probably do an episode just on some of your stories from Cumbria, but we'll leave that to another time. So today we want to spend a bit of time chatting about lameness in cow-calf herds. And more specifically, we want to focus on two pretty common conditions, foot rot, which probably most producers are familiar with, and sole abscesses. But let's start by talking about lameness in general. And and it's actually a pretty important disease. Uh, It can be a costly condition. What are some of the costs that are associated with cases of lameness in a cow-calf
1: It actually, it, it gets, oftentimes people think about the cost and they just think about, you know, the, the cost of the drug they had to buy, right? So they just think, oh, it, you know, it cost me this amount in the drug. And that's a real cost, but they factor in your time. I mean, if these cattle are at pasture, the problems of getting the animal restrained, getting the drug into the animal... That can be very, very costly in times of your time. Animals that are lame, uh, they don't typically go looking for food. They don't necessarily go looking for water. So normally they lose weight and that can become a problem. Uh, Cows that are lame may not show signs of estrus or may not wanna be stand to be mounted. And so we can start seeing infertility problems. You know, Cows that aren't eating aren't producing milk, so that can cause problems for their uh, calves. And then finally, um, there are a portion of cows that go lame when we start talking about the causes of lameness, where the results of that lameness may require surgery or even slaughter. And so it's an insidious disease. And oftentimes, people aren't aware of just how much lameness can be costing them.
0: Right. And it's super painful for those cattle, too. So it's a welfare issue as well.
1: Yeah, sorry, the, the welfare costs in addition to the financial costs are huge. I mean, everybody has had something happen to their own feet, right? Whether it's they sprained an ankle, stood on a nail, you know, and, and the huge thing is if you're a human, you just retire to the the sofa, right? You put your foot up and you watch TV and wait for it to get better and someone brings you stuff. But these cows are still foraging for food. They've still got to get around and they don't have that rest cycle. So it, it is you don't have to think very much to imagine just how painful these conditions are for cattle.
0: Yes, and I always think even more costly if, if a bull gets lame during the breeding season, we can have some major reproductive losses as well.
1: Oh, huge. I mean, it, it actually gets quite complicated. I mean, certainly hind legs. Um, The bull can't travel to find the cows that are in estrus. He can't stand to mount the cows. And depending on the severity of the pain and the drugs that are used to treat the lameness, you can actually end up having really long-term effects on semen quality.
0: Good point. So we know lameness is a very big issue in the dairy industry. It's been estimated as maybe the third most important health problem after fertility and mastitis. And some of those issues are associated with housing and cow comfort and standing on concrete and things like that, that we don't have to worry about so much with the cow-calf industry usually. So lameness isn't probably as prevalent in cow-calf herds, but why is it still important to be concerned about?
1: I think, you know, as a rule of thumb, I always think that like, you know, beef cows are generally healthier than dairy cows because they live in a much more natural environment. You know, we're not forcing them into barns 365 days of the year. So we generally see healthier animals at pasture. But when you start looking at some of the surveys, um, one of the number one reasons why a cow is likely to get treated with antibiotics at pasture is because she's lame. So overall, the animals are healthier, but the same conditions exist. So lameness is still a really common problem. It's just all disease is less common in beef cattle. And when you start talking to producers, um, I think about 80% of Western Canadian uh, cow calf herds will report using antibiotics to treat at least one cow every year. Um, So again, it it is out there. Um, The other thing, just from sort of personal experience, it's not uncommon to be asked to talk to a producer group about conditions that they're interested in. And people often want you to speak on lameness because it's a frustrating condition for them. They don't like to see cows go lame at pasture because of the, the issues of trying to treat them and so on. And, and finally, it's not really part of the cow-calf industry, but, but lameness is a fairly big issue in feedlots. You can see up to about 5% of animals in a feedlot going lame during the feeding period.
0: Let's talk about some of the general causes of lameness now. What buckets or categories can we lump the causes of lameness into? We're not going to talk about them all today, but let's make the categories up first.
1: Yeah, I think I think um, probably the first one to talk about is infectious causes of lameness. And then you can break those down into different types. But there are some infectious diseases, mainly bacterial, that can cause animals to go lame. We also recognize... There are some nutritional factors that can cause lameness, um, of which the most common is probably founder, where animals are getting into too much uh, highly fermentable carbohydrate, upsetting their rumen. It releases things into the bloodstream that really can affect the foot and cause founder. Um, So that, again, not super common in uh, beef cattle, but it does happen if animals get into grain or if there's a sudden diet change. Another really common one actually is physical injury, and we can break that down to accidents that happen where an animal steps on something, gets its foot caught, injures its leg, those things happen. But more commonly, it's the chronic repetitive injuries. And we see this where feet become overgrown and the cows aren't standing properly and it puts abnormal weight on their feet. And then there's another factor which is actually kind of difficult because people really haven't done the research. Um, But there's certainly genetic factors come into play here. Um, And oftentimes producers want to ask questions about genetics. It's unfortunate because we just don't know enough about things like sand cracks, um, uh, corns, that, that sort of growth between the claw. And hoof size and hoof shape there's a lot of breed standards and people are looking for this particular type of leg but we just don't have enough information to be able to tell people what is the not the best looking leg but what is the leg shape and foot shape that's associated with long life
0: yeah and we probably don't have time to talk about all these different causes of lameness i'm i'm hoping to have some other people come and talk about some of these other conditions Uh, on some future episodes, or maybe have you come back. But before we go on to the two diseases we want to talk about specifically today, I just want to talk about this 90-90-90 rule. You and I were talking about this ahead of time, and uh, we were kind of wondering where where it came from originally, but do you want to talk about that and how it maybe pertains more to dairy cattle than beef cattle?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, dairy cows live this completely different life. And in dairy cows, if a dairy cow goes lame, you know, we used to joke about it. We say that if a dairy cow goes lame, there's a 90% chance she's lame in the hind leg. If she's lame in the hind leg, there's a 90% chance it's gonna be her foot. And there's a 90% chance it's going to be the outside foot. And it's all to do the way that dairy cows walk, the surfaces they're on. We get these problems and they're really specific to the hind leg and that outside claw. Beef cattle are different. Beef cattle really are different. I think it's still important to recognize that when cows go lame, it's nearly always the foot. We don't see problems further up the leg, but the distribution between the front leg and the back leg and the inside and the outside claw is much more variable. So, you know, when I look at a dairy cow and I hear she's lame, I almost only look at her back legs until proven otherwise. But when a beef cow goes lame, you've got to be prepared to look at all the feet because we see problems in the front legs. I don't think we've ever done a study on it, but I would say almost equally between front legs and back legs.
0: Interesting. Well, we want to focus on a specific infectious cause of lameness and probably the most common one that producers are familiar with. So that's foot rot. We also want to compare that to sole abscesses. Let's start with foot rot. What's the sequence of events that causes a cow to come down with a case of foot rot? Okay. I'm just going to jump in there and actually say
1: the the one thing that I, I sort of found over the years to just point out, first of all, is that foot rot is a very, very specific cause of lameness. We often use, people use the term foot rot as a sort of generic bucket to describe every cow that's lame. But foot rot is a very, very specific condition. And so foot rot is actually an infection of the the skin and the soft tissues between the claws. And so in order for a cow to get foot rot, the first thing they have to do is stand on something that's sharp enough that it actually goes up between the claws and actually lacerates the skin. So it needs to slice the skin open between the claws. And so all sorts of things can do this. It can be rocks, it can be scrap metal, Stubble fields, when cows are walking out on stubble, those stubble can be like little needles. The other thing at times of year like this, where the ground is soft during the day and gets churned up and then freezes hard at night, you can get frozen soil is actually sharp enough to do this. So you have to slice the skin open. And once that skin is open, there is a fat pad at the bottom of the leg that doesn't have a very good blood supply. So it's a perfect place for bacteria to grow. And there is a bacteria present in the soil. It's everywhere. You can't avoid it. It's present in the soil. It's present in manure. No one needs to remember this. It's called Fusobacterium macrophorum. But this bacteria gets into that fat pad and sets up an infection. And it's a nasty, nasty infection that just slowly rots the tissues. And not surprisingly, having an infection that's rotting your tissues is really painful for the animal.
0: I should mention that we're recording this near the end of March, and uh, we're still waiting for spring to come here in Saskatchewan. I think the wind chill this morning was minus 28. Uh, So we're hoping for spring to come, but often we see a cluster of uh, foot rot cases around the spring when conditions get wet. And why is that? Partly the freeze-thaw thing, but there's another issue too, is there not, Chris?
1: Well, there are some other factors. I mean, I'm not quite sure where you're going to on this, but the one that springs to mind is the animals are typically in corral pens. They're close together. There's a lot more manure and and fecal bacteria on the ground. They're not spread out as much. Was there something else you were thinking of?
0: I was thinking about softening of the skin too. So does softening of the skin in wet conditions probably contribute to that?
1: No, they do. I mean, that's the other way of getting foot rot. And in fact, that sort of comes back to our discussion about dairy cows because dairy cows often get foot rot in a barn where there aren't things to step on. But just standing in wet conditions does cause the skin to break down and can allow the bacteria to get in as an alternative route. And yeah, you were saying how cold it is here, but that sun's got some heat behind it and the afternoons are starting to get pretty sloppy.
0: True. We're hoping spring will be here soon. Uh, so let's let's talk about the other condition, sole abscesses that that sometimes gets confused with foot rot. What's the sequence of events that leads to that condition?
1: So a sole abscess is when bacteria gets in under the hoof and sets up an infection and we get pus formation, between the the soft tissue structures of the the hoof and the hard outer layer. Um, And there's really two ways for bacteria to get into the hoof because to all intents and purposes, the the hoof is pretty much armor-plated. It's hard for infection to get in. And so the least common, but the one people think of all the time, is that if an animal stands on a nail and that nail penetrates through the hoof, it will take bacteria in. And so that does happen. But to be honest with you, it's rare. Like that's not the most common cause. The most common cause is, uh, and some of the people who work with horses are going to sort of identify we're onto a common theme here, is that the hoof is actually built of two structures. You've got the wall, which is the bit you can see on the outside, and you've got the sole that's in contact with the ground. And the sole and the wall are pretty tough, but they're held together by a biological glue. And we refer to that as the white line. And the white line is actually quite soft. It's normally a fraction of a millimeter thick. But when animals have had feed disruptions and things like that, you can get mild founder and the, the white line can actually become thicker. And then you can get dirt and gravel just erodes away at it and works its way up through the white line. And that is absolutely the most common way we get abscesses. It's this natural erosion process, possibly coupled with a little bit of founder. Um, if you're trying to think of an analogy, it's the same thing as getting stuff stuck under your fingernails. Like, it, it's actually the same things. If you think of the hoof as being the, uh, the nail it's, it's the bit of your hand where you can get things stuck. And if you've ever had stuff stuck under your fingernail, you know how damn painful it is. And it, it's really analogous there. It's, it's the material just erodes its way in and sets up that infection inside the hoof. And th- this is where I'm sure we're going to get to this, John. But this is one of the, the bits where... Actually, I am want to stop there because we're going to come on. I was going to talk about why it's so painful and why you have to trim it. So maybe we'll come to that.
0: Sure. Okay, well, let's talk about how to diagnose these two conditions, and let's start with foot rot again. What does that look like? How are those cows going to appear when we see them lame in the field?
1: So the good news is that foot rot is actually diagnosable, and it can be diagnosed probably from a small distance away. You don't have to get super close. So with foot rot, because you've got this infection in the tissues, you actually need to look at the bottom of the leg just above the hoof. And the classic things you want to look for is the toes actually getting forced apart because you've got this swelling and infection between the toes. And then that swelling will often almost um, go all the way around the, the, the lower part of the limb right above the, uh, the coronary band, the top of the hoof. So you'll see this diffuse swelling. Um, depending on the the how clean the animal is and the color of the coat, you may be able to identify that it looks reddened, um, and if you look really closely, you can often see really nasty goo between the claws because this infection is literally breaking down the tissues, and you can often see this grey-green slime between the claws. And if you get close enough, you can smell it because it's basically rotting flesh. So, you know, horseback, you you should be able to see the swelling. And the swelling is absolutely characteristic. So there's very few things that will cause the claws to separate and give you that uniform diffuse swelling.
0: Okay, so let's compare that to an abscess. What would that look like if we saw a sole abscess in a cow?
1: This is where your luck runs out because the problem with abscesses is they're really hard to diagnose. So the animal's gonna be lame. They're often really, really lame but you're not gonna be able to see anything to explain the lameness because everything is taking place inside the hoof. So you don't see swelling. You don't really see changes in color. To make that diagnosis, you need to get close to the leg. So um, typically the claw that's affected is very, very hot. So if you can get a hand onto the foot, you can identify the heat there. And then, as a veterinarian, I need to actually look at its sole and I need to use things like hoof testers and a knife to actually find evidence that there's an abscess there. So, it's a really frustrating disease at pasture because you need really good access to the foot to make the diagnosis.
0: If it had progressed a little farther along, that abscess, and the abscess had actually broken out, what might you see there?
1: So, it's a good point. Abscesses will progress, they typically take about Three weeks or so to progress to bursting. So, I'm not going to recommend waiting because I think that animal's in a lot of pain while you wait. The thing is, with cows, when that abscess bursts out, it normally bursts out at the back of the heel. So, it bursts out right at the back there, which is very different. Again, people who've worked with horses have probably seen abscesses burst out of the coronary band. We don't really understand why, but cows, the abscess tracks backwards and bursts out right at the heel. So you often will see a little bit of a wound and and maybe some sort of wetness and and fluid um, right in the heel region underneath the dewclaw.
0: All right, let's talk about treatment. So foot rot, we know, responds to antibiotics fairly well. How do these two diseases differ in the ways that we treat them?
1: Yeah, so the thing about foot rot is it, it doesn't just respond well. Like, classic foot rot. Basically, if you can get an antibiotic into that cow, it should be basically sound in about 48 hours. It, it's an incredibly fast recovery. And so oftentimes people use a long acting antibiotic. And honestly, it almost doesn't matter which antibiotic you use. They pretty much all work universally. It's, if you had to pick a cause of lameness, you would pick foot rot because it's super easy to treat. On the other hand, abscesses are a pain because with an abscess, you've got a pocket of pus inside the hoof capsule. And anybody's seen abscesses on cows know that abscesses swell. That's what abscesses do. But when you get an abscess with hoof on one side and bone on the other, there's nowhere for that abscess to swell to. So the pressure in that abscess is sky-high, and that causes intense pain. I'm sure some of your listeners, John, working on farms, have had abscesses under their own fingernails, and it is excruciating. So the only way to deal with a foot abscess is drain it. And that means getting the animal restrained, finding the abscess, and then using a hoof knife to pare down and open the abscess and drain it. And once the abscess is drained, The animal's got basically a 100% chance of recovery and doesn't need drugs. I know people often think, oh, it's an abscess. We should treat it with antibiotics. But you don't need antibiotics. What you need to do is drain the pus. That will relieve the pain and the body will heal it. Antibiotics will not work because they won't reduce the pressure in the abscess.
0: So if we see an animal lame and we treat it and it doesn't respond to therapy, what should we do next, Chris?
1: Yeah, well, if it does get better, that pretty much proves its foot rot. So you can sort of give yourself a pat on the back, you did the right thing, end of story, great. If an animal doesn't get better, you've got, a, you've got several options there. So one, and probably the most common thing is it's not foot rot. If it didn't get better, it's not foot rot, it's an abscess or something else. and An abscess is probably the most likely cause. The other thing that does happen, unfortunately, it's not common, but with foot rot, the infection is in this fat pad between the toes, But if if foot rot is left, the disease will progress further, and the danger is that foot rot can actually break into the joint, and then you've got a septic joint, and uh, the only thing you can do for a septic vet is talk to your veterinarian. If you want to save the animal, you've pretty much got to amputate the toe, Um, and with uh, abscesses, you've got to find someone who knows what they're doing and get them to drain the abscess. if an animal does not respond to antibiotics, you've really got to get them out of the pasture, get them to a restraint facility and have someone who knows what they're doing, take a look at the foot. And it's really important to do that early on because the quicker you catch these problems, the better. Um, Oftentimes people will start with one antibiotic, go to another antibiotic, try a third antibiotic, and then they call the veterinarian. And sometimes you know, by the time we get involved, our, our options are limited. So the earlier you get someone who knows what they're doing to look at a foot,
0: the better. Good point. I, I just had a conversation with a veterinarian who was dealing with an outbreak of lameness, uh, which we think was solapsis. These animals probably had laminitis from grazing corn, but that was probably three to four weeks ago. And now they're dealing with sole abscesses. And really the only thing you could do was trim them. And some of them were so advanced that that was pretty difficult to to deal with. So So the sooner the better. And a non-response to antimicrobials probably means it's not just simple foot rot. It's either complicated foot rot, it's got up into a joint, or it's something else entirely. And it could be some of these other conditions that we're not even talking about today. But uh, it is something else and probably needs a more closer look at with a veterinarian uh, as soon as possible to give you a chance of treating those properly. What can we do to prevent foot rot from occurring in the first place? It'd be far better to prevent it. So what are some of the things that we can do? Well,
1: there's a couple of things. I think, you know, the first one is easy to say, much harder to do, which is, you know, try to try to ensure that your cattle... Are not in areas where they can damage their feet. So, you know, springtime in Saskatchewan, you don't have a lot of options there, but try not to have junk metal piles that the cows can go climbing around in where they're going to slice their feet up and things like that. Um, There is a vaccine for foot rot. It's a very old vaccine and it's really hard to find good evidence for how effective it is. Um, And I think. People who've used it have have sort of intimated to me that they didn't think it was any good. But it's important to recognize it's a foot rot vaccine, not a lameness vaccine. And so, you know, if you're not having foot rot problems, it's not going to help. It's not going to prevent abscesses, for example. My general recommendation to people is I'm unsure of just how good the vaccine is. But given the value of a functioning bull, I often say to people, I, I don't see any I I see good value in using it as a vaccine in your bulls. You may not want to vaccinate all your cows, but having a bull go lame right in the middle of breeding season, if there's anything you can do to prevent that, that's what I would recommend. Um, In terms of abscesses, I think, again, watching the feed, trying to make sure that cattle aren't getting sort of rapid changes in the amount of carbohydrate in their diet. so trying to allow the room and chance to uh, adapt to new diets and uh, just avoid animals getting into grains or things like that. Uh, the other thing is, you know, bulls especially, I think getting their feet trimmed, like getting their feet cleaned up, often you want to do this about a good six weeks to two months before they're gonna start breeding. And looking at your cow herd, and if you've got older cows whose feet are starting to look a bit ratty, potentially getting those feet trimmed up, um, just trimming them up, opening up those sort of impacted white lines before they progress to abscesses can be beneficial. I realize it's not entirely practical, but we were sort of offering it as a special here at the vet school for a a while there where we we were trying to get foot trimming tied up with getting bulls tested. So if you bring bring your bull in, you get him tested, his semen's good, we'll get him on the table, get his feet trimmed at the same time, and then he's completely ready to go for breeding season.
0: Yes, we should add that it is difficult to trim a bull's feet without a good tilt table. And I know there are lots of clinics out there that have them, but not everybody does. The other potential avenue would be to uh, have a commercial foot trimmer come in and do it.
1: Yeah. And I again, the other thing is there's no certification for foot trimmers, So You want to to ask around, find someone who's used someone and recognize their skills. Um, You know, there are many different ways to trim feet. There are some power tools that can make life easier, but you want someone who knows what they're doing. You don't want someone who's just going to like attack a foot with an angle grinder because Trimming a foot badly can do more harm than not trimming it at all. So you you do want to make sure you've got someone with some experience and understands what they're trying to do with the foot. And the one thing I always caution people about is when you're using power tools with blades, it's a little hairy, and so people don't like that. And so they often want to use a grinding device. You want to be very, very cautious about using a grinding device to trim feet, because it generates an awful lot of heat And we've actually seen some cases where people have actually generated so much heat that the heat has gone through the hoof and actually burnt the underlying soft tissue. And that can lead to huge problems. So again, find someone with references, for want of a better term, that someone can tell you they know what they're doing.
0: Well, to wrap up, maybe you could just give producers a few words about dealing with these types of lamenesses. What are the important things to remember?
1: I think the important thing is When a cow goes lame, you know, think, oh, it might be foot rot. Not it is foot rot. Try to get a look at the foot. If the foot looks swollen, it probably is foot rot. And if you're at pasture and you're not sure, to be honest, trying antibiotics isn't the worst idea, but go back and check on the animal. And if two to three days later, it's still lame wishing isn't going to make it foot rot. It's not foot rot. You're going to have to do something else. And I think early treatment means probably a better response. And, you know, you may not think of it this way, but the cow is going to thank you because making an animal stag around a field for a couple of weeks on a lame leg is really unacceptable. Like if an animal is that lame, you owe it to them to do something about it. And so, you know, whether somebody on the farm is talented at looking at cow's feet or getting somebody else in is really the only thing that's acceptable.
0: Good advice, Chris. Thanks for doing this today with me. And I hope I can have you back again sometime in the future.
1: Always happy to chat, John. Uh, You know, I think lameness is one of those things it's not glamorous but it is common and i think it's important that people try to learn a little bit more about uh, how to keep their cows sound
0: great thank you very much Bye, that's our show for this week thanks to all of you for listening to the podcast and thanks again to my guest dr chris clark from the western college of veterinary medicine thanks as always to our sponsors the alberta beef producers and the Beef Cattle Research Council. We always appreciate your feedback. If you have questions or comments or would like to suggest topics that you'd like to see covered in future episodes, please email me at bchnpodcast at gmail.com. Take care till next time.